All right, the Bank of Canada. Some questions. All right, these are questions that I like to think on on a regular basis, and they're questions I've been asked. What's the greatest threat to the stability of the housing market? What's the greatest threat to the Canadians, to Canadian, to individual Canadians' ability to buy their first home? It's a pretty important thing. What's the greatest threat to Canadians' existing homeowners' equity position? What's the greatest threat to our economy? What's the greatest threat to our industry, yours and mine, you know, real estate in general? My answer for years now, when I ask any of these questions, is kind of always being the same one. Government policy, right? Government policy, specifically policies that slow or freeze progress, whether it's your own personal progress we're talking about, or whether it's you know economic progress. Progress matters, development matters, personal, professional, macroeconomic, and, uh, and yes, real estate development, that matters as well. Real estate typically takes seven years to be, to be developed from a dirt lot into finished housing that you're putting a key in the deadbolt and, and locking. Um, that's the reality. Seven years in a strong market. What kind of market are we headed into right now? Uh, not, not so strong. Not so strong. So what are we going to be looking at now? Are we going to be looking at 10 years for that piece of dirt to turn into housing? That's pretty significant. I'm standing in the middle of a neighborhood that has been being developed slowly, incredibly slowly uh, for 10 years. And there are townhouses and condo sites in this neighborhood that are still just sitting there as dirt due to delay, delay, delay. So here's the thing. Government policies will not fix housing anytime soon. I think we're all aware of that. And that, of course, is largely due to the disconnect between the levels of government, right? I mean, it's the municipal government that controls the development of the site right behind my house, which is why my hands are moving over to, 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 to your right, because that's where that lot is. It's been sitting there waiting for condos to be built on it for years, 10 years. And it'll be years, probably another two or three, before they put a shovel in the ground up there, which is crazy. So the federal government can talk a big game about doing something about housing, but the municipal governments are the ones that really control the strings. So government policies, they are at their core based on the best intentions, largely the best intentions, uh, best intentions of staffers and elected officials. Um, and yeah, best intentions. What was that that was famously said about best intentions? Yeah, the best intentions pave best intentions pave the way to hell. Uh, that's Mercutio from Romeo and Juliet for the, the Shakespeare fans. Rarely do best intentions result in best policies. And we've seen many examples of failed and abandoned policies beyond housing issues, but I'm just going to stick to housing today. I'll, I'll stay in my lane. In the past, I've gone a little bit easy on the Bank of Canada. I know I have. Perhaps they've even sounded like a defender of them because, well, look, they got a tough job. And, and sometimes I think they are unfairly attacked. And I'm not going to try and attack them and what's coming up here, but TIFF, we got to talk. It's becoming increasingly difficult to defend the Bank of Canada. It's not simply a matter of not wanting to see a drop in my home value or home values in general either. But on the topic of home values, you know, sure, a 20% pop in price feels particularly nice in that first year that you buy. You know, it's a kind of a head start towards feeling like you made the smart move. And we all want to feel smart and look smart, probably look smart more so than feel smart. But those kinds of jumps in value are obviously 
very concerning when they happen year after year after year, no matter where you are on the home ownership ladder, they're concerning because the greatest fear, of course, that we have as humans is the fear of loss, loss of opportunity to some extent, loss of ownership, big time, loss of equity. Absolutely. Right. I mean, equity is ownership, but I, I feel like equity is a clearer word in this one. And massive appreciation isn't really a buffer against loss, not when that appreciation happens super quick, because we all know there's very likely to be a pullback when things move up too quick. And we're afraid of getting caught in that pullback, and of course, subsequently not looking so smart. But back to policy, and in particular, policy errors. The dropping of rates to rock bottom levels in 2020 was not an error. That was smart. That was smart. That was that was good policy. Leaving rates at rock bottom rates for two years, maybe not so smart. And of course, we have the benefit of hindsight, but there were a number of intelligent economists in the spring of 2021 saying, it's time, it's time, like move a little, move a little now so you don't have to move a lot later. Uh, those rumblings were out there. And the error was compounded, perhaps in part created by a massive communications error made by Tiff Macklem in July of 2020, when he uttered the words, he made the statement, if you've got a mortgage or you're considering making a major purchase, you can be confident rates will be low for a long time. Rates will be low for a long time. Close quote, Tiff Macklem. Tiff, we were counting on you, man. We based major mortgage decisions on your words. We based major purchase decisions on your words. I bought a house. I took a mortgage. I, you know, Based on your words, not entirely, but you gave me comfort. So Tiff, why are you yanking the rug out from under us right now? And why are you wrapping me in that rug? And then why are you kicking me while I'm down wrapped in the rug you just pulled out from under me? Tiff, I thought we had something special. What happened? Like, where, where did we go wrong here? And now, on top of that whole situation unfolding, we have this statement late in September of 2022 from one of Tiff's counterparts, Paul Beaudry. Quote, we, the Bank of Canada, will continue to take whatever actions are necessary to restore price stability for households and businesses and to maintain Canadians' confidence that we can deliver on our mandate of bringing inflation back to 2%, close quote. I mean, what's, what's Mr. Baudry actually saying here, right? Like, what, what is the thought process? We're going to do everything we can to honor our mandate. Okay, your mandate is one thing. I mean, that's great. I care about you honoring your mandate, but I care a little more about, you know, where mortgage payments are going, right? So we know that rates were set for too long, too low for too long. We agree there. A year too long by the documented opinion of many an intelligent economist. And we now appear to be the subject of a Bank of Canada, Canada strategy uh, falls under the header, come hell or high water. Right? They're pushing rates higher, faster than ever, as high as they feel they need to go. Uh, kind of like a toddler playing with a volume on a stereo is how it's starting to feel. It's like, wow, like it's just, I think it's too much too fast at this point. And I'm far from the only person that thinks that. Which brings us to what seems to be an increasingly clear policy error today, because rocketing interest rates upward 
using the argument that we're trying to head off wage increases that will in turn lead to entrenched inflation. We've heard that a few times, right? Is in fact causing the very wage inflation and the wage increases that the Bank of Canada wanted to avoid. Like their own policy of pushing the rates up is resulting in people asking for and receiving raises. So the wage inflation, it's happening. And the Bank of Canada wants to drive people out of their jobs as quickly as they can. But, you know, as for the prices of things, like, hey, guys, guess what? One plus one equals two. Limited supply due to supply chain issues amidst reasonable demand, never mind strong or excessive demand, results in inflation. If you reduce the supply, even in the face of just regular demand, even reduced demand, but you reduce the supply even further, inflation is the result. And high rates don't fix supply, right? Which is something I think I've said for the last year and a half, but you know, a lot of us are saying that. What we, what we have here though, is demand-side economics. And demand-side economics does not work. Demand-side economics is exactly what CMHC attempted in 2016 with a wave of mortgage guideline changes. How'd that work out? How's this cheaper since 2016? More supply since 2016? No, no. Nothing CMHC did on the demand side in 2016 played out as they hoped it would play out. And I think the Bank of Canada needs to take a page out of that playbook of CMHCs, the demand-side economics page, and burn it, toss it away. Demand-side economics failed in 2016, and it's clearly going to fail again in the here and the now. So how long can the Bank of Canada hold rates high? How long can they attempt to artificially suppress demand? Well, long enough for dozens of property developers to press pause, if not stop, on dozens of projects in my own hometown here in Vancouver, uh, 77 projects on hold was the last count I heard uh, from somebody who pays attention to these things. Hundreds of projects halted nationwide. So this weaker economy that the Bank of Canada is, is, is pushing for, it's a win for who? I mean, perhaps for the central banker, laser focused on their mandate on that one thing, the the 2% uh, inflation uh, number, but there are 38,654,738 other things for the Bank of Canada to keep in mind. Those things are Canadians, 38,654,738 of us, probably 739 just now because, you know, population growth. Congrats if if that was your baby that was just born and uh, get ready to move them into the closet and call that their bedroom until they're 45 years old, right? That seems to feel a little bit like where we're headed. And so Canadians need what, right? Well, some elbow room is nice, but first and foremost, people need money and they need money like they need oxygen. You need money to survive in our society, which means people need jobs and jobs flow from a stimulated economy, not a stifled one. And again, the Bank of Canada is trying to drive the jobs number down, which is just mind-bending when you think about the human toll involved there. So yes, inflation is an issue, but spiking unemployment is not a solution. It's a recipe, a recipe for what? For disaster. Because what's born out of high unemployment? History buffs. What happens when unemployment starts to rise? Social unrest starts to rise, fundamental change, and not always change for the better. 
So trying to fix inflation caused by shortages driving up the carrying cost of housing and the cost of financing, the cost of financing construction, ultimately the cost of rents, and ultimately wages of people who need a roof over their head is really not fixing anything, my dearest Bank of Canada. Arguably, the Bank of Canada's increasing of interest rates is exactly what is leading to the very thing they are trying to avoid, entrenched inflation. Hashtag irony. Demand is not due to drunken spending sprees, all right? Demand is in large part due to things just wearing out, breaking. We need replacements and, yeah, some economic expansion. So higher interest rates, not fixing supply problems, which is, of course, the real root of inflation. If inflation eases, it's actually going to have very little to do with what the Bank of Canada has done with rates, especially over the next six months. Inflation is going to be easing uh, more so out of luck, more so out of moves industry has made. Um, These higher interest rates aren't really going to flow through and and have their effect for another six to 12 months. That's that's the reality. It takes time for this to all trickle through. Although not so much if you're in an adjustable rate mortgage or a variable rate mortgage, kissing the trigger rate at this point. Higher rates create bigger problems for households. They reduce unemployment, they put people out of work, and none of that is a win. It's not acceptable collateral damage. You know, It's not acceptable that Canadians should be the collateral damage. Housing starts, as I touched on, they're falling too, which results in less supply, which will drive prices up even further over the coming years. But the Bank of Canada is focused on prices for food and energy. That's really what they're focused on. Housing is not their mandate, it's someone else's problem. Yeah, it is. It's our problem individually, has been for a number of years. No thanks to any level of government. So fundamentally, what does all of this mean for you and I? Well, a genius level gentleman that uh, I spent four days listening to recently uh, advised us, uh, his audience, that smart people have better answers, but geniuses have better questions. And that we should all work harder on asking better questions rather than just coming up with the answers. So here are some questions I'm asking myself as I navigate these times, and perhaps you'll find some of them useful yourself. And a lot of them involve doing the math. So if you don't like doing the math, open the app and use the app or get someone else to do the math for you, depending on who you are listening to this right now. So I'll include a couple of my own personal answers, which sort of helps explain the flow of the chain of questions. So question number one, am I locking in my variable rate mortgage to a fixed rate? No. No. Uh, Why not? Well, a few reasons. One, I've done the math, Uh, the most important math of all. Can I afford another 1% hike? Well, I'd have to be able to afford another 1% hike because that would be the cost of locking in, inflicting another 1% hike on myself. Do I believe the Bank of Canada is going to go another two points or three points? I don't know what to believe anymore. Is it possible? Yes. So should I lock in to avoid an extra couple of points? No, I still shouldn't because I know I've also done the math on what I can afford. And I know I'm not comfortable, but I am capable of making my payments if rates go another point, two points or three points, because I don't think they're going to stay there forever. If they stayed there for a year or a year and a half, would I survive? Yes, I'd eat a lot more craft dinner, but I'd survive. No more fancy dinners at Chipotle for me. So look, I'm not predicting how much further rates are going to go. Uh, I just continue to revisit this math regularly. I also know all too well just how long 
three years is, let alone five, depending on what you're talking about locking into as far as a fixed rate term. And I know how much one's life can change in three years. And I could easily trigger a massive mortgage penalty in three years if I convert to a fix today, especially if rates start to trickle back down even just slightly. Although as we know from interest rate differential calculations, rates don't really need to come down for you to trigger a massive prepayment penalty in a fixed rate mortgage. So I'm just staying away. So another question that we could all be asking ourselves, should I sell my house? I'm up. I'm up 20%, uh, you know, bought in May of 2021. And based on a sale just last week, I'm up 20%. So should I sell my house and rent? Um, well, my answer to that is no, because actually the recent sale in my neighborhood was me buying a, a second home, uh, a rental, buying an investment property. So there's a hint that I'm still optimistic about where things are going. But the biggest problem with renting is renting for myself uh, removes stability from my life, right? If you've got pets, you know that that's a problem. Renting is a problem. If you've got kids, it can be a problem because the school catchment areas, uh, is the yard, decent to play in, et cetera. And, and just the, the, the sheer stability, right? And am I really cutting any costs in my life given what the cost of rent is versus the cost of ownership? Um, probably not. And when it comes to rental, of course, there's always that question, am, am I going to get evicted due to the, the owners moving back in or them selling it to a new owner-occupied individual? And depending on the province you're in, you have a lot less stability as a tenant than you do as an owner. Uh, so what else can I ask myself? Are there costs in my own life that I could be cutting? Are there frivolous things I'm spending money on that I could be cutting? I'm not a super frivolous person, I don't think. Um, I'll admit I'm cooking twice as many dinners at home now on a weekly basis. That's right, two nights a week up from one. And for perspective, please understand that, uh, as I mentioned, I consider Chipotle uh, effective dining, if not fine dining. Am I working on leveling up my own skill set? Yes. Am I working on becoming more valuable to my employers, to all the different employers of me? Yes, absolutely. Uh, should you be doing the same? Are there things you can do to make yourself that much more fireproof, right? Less likely to get cut if there's cuts, more likely to actually get a raise because even in this environment that we're going into, there are people who will get paid more this year than they got paid last year. There are people who will get paid more next year than they're getting paid this year. Wage inflation. It is real. It is happening. And we should all be a part of it, shouldn't we? All right. That's what I got for you. There's my thought for the day on the Bank of Canada. Thank you.